And I want to talk to you this morning about vision, God's vision for your life. God's vision maybe for your nation, your company, God's vision for your family and what it means and what God says about it. It's important for us to know in the book of uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, many of us have probably memorized it, have it on the refrigerator door and the car somewhere. And it says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's so encouraging. That's why so many people love that verse. And I want to share something with you that I came across not too long ago. By, it was written by, a poem written by Sir Francis Drake in 1557. And I'll tell you it all in. It starts off saying, disturb us, O Lord, when we're too pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we dream too little. When we arrive safely because we've sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, O Lord, when with the abundant things we possess, we lose our thrust for the waters of life. Disturb us, O Lord, when having fallen in love with life, we've ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts we built to build a new earth, we've allowed our vision of heaven to dim, disturb us, O Lord. You know, vision is so important. And as I was casting this vision, we have what's called a vision weekend. And I was just being reminded because so many of us sometimes in life, things can get diluted or we can drift away from our original vision in whatever category of life you might be thinking of right now. You're constantly hearing from the word of God that it's always asking us to focus. Paul talked about being focused. The Bible talks about reaching forward, for example, Paul said, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And you constantly hear these, this being communicated to you and I. We tend to lose sight of that, and I want to talk to you on a, on a personal level, on a, however the Holy Spirit will reveal to you. But I sense this is a, a word for all of us to encourage us about what's ahead, not about what's behind us, or maybe what we might be walking through right now. Some of us might say, I'm walking through a real dark time, but you know what? The Bible says those who walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We're going through it. We're not going to stay in it in Jesus' name. I remind you of something that Ors Orson Sweat Martin once said. He said, deep within man dwell those slumbering powers, powers that would astonish us, that he never dreamed of possessing, forces that would revolutionize his life if aroused and put into action. May by the grace of God, we be able to put into action what's already been put into us, the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to, in talking about vision, warn you of something that is so dangerous to vision. It's called mediocrity. It's easy to settle into status quo and to move along thinking that you're accomplishing vision, but really not grasping all that God yet has for us to do. 
I know I've been there as a pastor, I've been there as a father, I've been there as a, a leader on many different levels of life. And one must awaken himself lest he falls into being diluted and maybe even drifting off the original intent of why you even got started. And so mediocrity is extremely dangerous to vision. I heard it once said that mediocrity is toxic to God's vision in our lives. It's a region that is bound on the north by compromise, on the south by indecision, on the east by past thinking, and on the west by a lack of vision. Now, I'm not implying by any stretch of the imagination that anyone like that is in this house. May this just be a warning by the Holy Spirit to stay focused of all the good things that God's going to do in your life. Amen? Let me share with you how easily it can happen. There are many corporate leaders, young entrepreneurs that are getting started, have a vision for this and have a vision for that. In 2007, many of you may have heard of the company called Starbucks, may have. And uh, the Starbucks chairman, Howard Schultz, sent a memo to his CEO at that time. His name was Jim uh, Donlan, that somehow got onto the internet and just went around the world in a flash. One of those copies came to my desk. It's easy to find on the internet. In the memo, Schultz expresses his concern that his company had veered from its original charter. He cites a series of internal decisions that eventually led to a dilution of what customers had come to expect from a visit to the Starbucks. By unintentionally altering the Starbucks experience, decision makers in the company had allowed America's premier coffee drinking environment to drift from its vision, from its mission, I'm sorry. And it was clear that in this memo, it was not simply a, a corporate concern. Rather, for the founder who came from absolutely nothing, from a, what's called trailer park beginnings, nothing to build a company with but a vision, it became very personal to him. And he urged his CEO to create a course that would lead Starbucks back to its original vision. You know, this is a candid reminder that really underscores and serves us to understand that vision Though we start off with it fresh and excited, if we're not focused, we can drift or become diluted. And again, what really struck me is uh, in his memo where I just read, there was a series of internal decisions that eventually led to the dilution. Sometimes we get started off with a vision for our families, a vision for business, a vision for our own personal life, a vision that we might have in the sphere of uh, athletics or any one of the number of things that, that we are all engaged in. But then we begin to make internal decisions, not eternal, but internal. And we're not careful because we make some of these internal decisions based on the current circumstances or based on certain obstacles or certain challenges that we all have 
or based on the past or a number of different things that maybe didn't work out. You know, we begin to dilute, redefine, maybe to repackage the experience that we once wanted, whether it be a marriage, a relationship, a ministry, a church, my own personal life. And the expectation begins to dwindle. The joy begins to seep out. The peace doesn't always seem to be as close as it once was. The strength of life is kind of thrown in the category of the common. I want to remind you and myself that this particular letter from Howard Schultz was like a wake-up call to the corporation. Every now and then, we all need a wake-up call. I'd be the first to raise my hand for you. Anyways, uh, for myself as well. And uh, because sometimes we too unintentionally alter certain things. Even values, convictions, beliefs, just downside, just a little bit. And we don't realize what that little can really do to the overall. You know, we make some internal decisions. Personal reasons, logical reasons, spiritual reasons, circumstantial reasons, and the list goes on. But God has a vision, and he says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, give you a future and a hope. You and I don't want to lose sight of God's thoughts for your future. He has thoughts for your future. You're not careful, you'll mix or substitute your thoughts for his thoughts. Then you'll wonder, why am I not getting a hold of God's thoughts? Little adjustment goes a long way. You know, I want to quickly say, with the three hours that I have left with you, <laughs> that we all have a, he's so generous. And uh, he says, I love to give you more, but they got to go to lunch. We all have the capacity to live powerful and impactful lives that go way beyond ourselves. You know, Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. We tend to forget that. Now, let me just talk about myself. Well, somebody would say, well, Pastor, there's so many things that are hidden from us. There's so many things that we don't see, so many things we don't understand. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes, in one sense, you're right. In another sense, may I challenge you in this way? Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord, but those things that are revealed to us belong to us. Or those things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. You know, sometimes people emphasize on the mystery of God instead of the revealed parts of God. And God's word has been revealed, his plan that he wants a vision for your life, a future. He said, Pastor, I'm just going through a dark time. You know, he's already revealed through the life of Micah. Don't laugh at me, oh my enemy. When I'm in a dark place, yet God will raise me up. I want you to understand, sometimes the Holy Spirit just wants to remind you that your best is yet to come. Your best is yet to come. Not just their best, my best. Everyone say, my best, my best. is yet to come. Let's give the Lord a great big hand clap because he is so good. And there are little things that we can do. And I remind you here this morning, 
Make this personal by the Holy Spirit. May he reveal things to you. You know that God wants to challenge us to go beyond the limitations of our past. The excuses that have held us back. You know, and the to conquer some mindsets that we have that have kept us living at minimal, mediocre, or the mundane. Changing your future starts with a decision. That's why I love the name of this church, Choose Life. You know, in Deuteronomy 30, 19, as you all well know, I'm sure, God gives a list of things I lay before you, life and death, blessing and curse. Then he gives you an open book test and he tells you the answer. Remember how we used to get in trouble when we used to lean over and find out what's the answer? Or when you were talking during a, a time of taking the test? Well, this is like an open book test and God is speaking. And he's saying, the answer is choose life. I mean, God is just like so for us. He's just like, Art, you're not going to get this unless I really speak it into you. And uh, life is full of options though, isn't it? It is full of options and choices and opportunities. You know, and if we're not careful, we'll become robots to the mundane. We'll become slaves to the minimal. I once heard an individual say, if a man cannot see the ultimate, he will become a prisoner of the immediate. How many of us get stuck where we're at, frustrated and upset, and feel like we actually begin to believe that we can't go forward anymore? In a marriage, I've gone as far as I can go. In a relationship. I'm as happy as I will ever be in my finance. You know, and the list goes on and on and on. But I want to encourage you today that we were created to live at a godly maximum capacity. I mean a godly maximum capacity. And uh, being a Bible-believing Christian, as we are, discovering those principles are found by the Holy Spirit and in His love living word and God has a great future for you and that might sound so beyond where you're at right now it almost might sound intrusive because you don't understand what I'm going through you mister in the land of pineapples and papayas and beautiful sandy beaches well you're right about that and for the tourism of Hawaii I welcome you all to come and visit but a more serious Serious note, I know, and you know, that life can be overwhelming, you know, and it's true. But what's also even more true is what God says about your life. He has a vision, a hope, and a future for you. He doesn't give up on his children, doesn't toss them to the side, even when they make intentional mistakes. He is a God of mercy and a God of goodness. Can I have an amen? Every day, his loving kindness and tender mercies are renewed. And I just want to encourage you that your future goes well beyond you. Goes well beyond your circumstances. Well beyond your own skill set. Maybe you've been a person that's been so self-sufficient, self-dependent, self-oriented. And that is actually an area that has you most stuck. Because you can't say beyond your gifting, your talent. As good as it may be, even if you tend to give the divine some credit, you still stay where you're at. Let me ask you a question. Do you want more from your life? Do you want more 
And I ask a question to people who may right now feel like they're stuck in a rut, may feel that you're fed up with your working conditions, environments, unhappy with your own personality, maybe you're disillusioned with certain relationships on a certain level, maybe you're discontent, having push, push here, there, and still end up with the same level of finance, maybe you're just bored with your lifestyle, find yourself unfulfilled, and have that that lingering hope that if things could only change, but after all, I gotta be a realist. No, you gotta be a person of faith. You gotta be a person who trusts God beyond your own understanding. It's our understanding that locks us down so often. He says, trust me. Even in the midst of your valley, trust me with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge me in all of your ways. I know it looks impossible to you. I know the odds look insurmountable. I know it looks unchangeable, but I'm God. Changes the impossible and gives you the road to possible. You know, sometimes you have to step back to recalibrate, reset, revive yourself, refresh yourself. Love this house. Great atmosphere here. Great worship. I think when I get to heaven, I'm going to be able to sing like Fritz and move the way he moves. I love it. Come on, give it up for Fritz. I mean, so I'm like, Lord, how come you didn't give me a set of pipes like that? I think I heard God say, I have my reasons. Anyways, um, sometimes you have to recalibrate some things, amen? But it is easy to drift. And we're warned time and again in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, in the Amplified Bible, it says, since all these things are true, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, we ought to pay much closer attention than ever to the truths that we have heard, lest in any way we drift past them and slip away. Notice the truth doesn't slip away, we slip away. But I want to encourage you that if we slip away, we can slip back in the right direction. Let me share with you, answering the question, why some people, I'm sure you've heard Jeremiah 29, 11, and other verses of such manner with greater insight. But let me allow to share just a little bit with you, if I may. You know, people often ask, I'm sure you've asked yourself, if God does have this future for me that's better than what I'm at right now, then why, why am I having a difficulty getting to it quicker? However you might ask the question. Here's a, a suggestion for you to seriously consider when, when analyzing that kind of a thought. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal everything I'm sharing with you on a much greater level. There's a verse in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. It says, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. Our vines have tender grace. You know, these foxes are not pets. Foxes, by characteristic, you can look up anywhere, you know, are subtle, elusive, obscure, crafty, cunning, tricky, sly, disguising, cagey. They're not as flamboyant. You know, they're subtle is the choice pursuit that they have. These little foxes, but they're doing something. They spoil the vine. The vine, in this case, may I refer to it as your productivity. The vine, the harvest of your life, the fruit of your life. 
you know, the results that you want in various categories. It says, catch these little foxes. He says, these little foxes that spoil your productivity of the results that you want. For our vines have tender grapes. You know, God wants you and I, we can go to verse after verse, wants us to be fruitful in character, fruitful by way of integrity, fruitful for the kingdom of God, fruitful for our family's sake. And the list goes on of godly attributes that God wants us to have and should strive for. But oftentimes, it's the little foxes that we think they're just, they're just cute. Everybody has them. Not everybody has a fox. I don't have one. I had a hamster, but I never had a, never had a fox. But anyways, but it says catch them, meaning eliminate them, stop them, or at least cage it. If you're an animal rights activist, at least cage it. You don't have to skin it, just cage it. But the thing is, don't let it run wild. This little fox is running wild. If we let these little foxes run wild in our lives, Pastor Warren, that's, that's interesting. Give me more clarity. I'm so glad you asked the question. Let me kind of share with you what the question, uh, how I'm going to answer that question, what I refer to as the fox in the setting. It's a little poem I found. It goes like this. You may know me. I'm your constant companion. I'm your greatest helper. And I'm your heaviest burden. I'll push you onward or drag you down to failure. I am at your command. Half the tasks you do might as well be turned over to me. I'm able to do them quickly. And I'm able to do them the same way every time if that's what you desire. I'm easily managed all you have to do is be firm with me. Show me exactly what you want me to do. And after a few lessons, I'll do it automatically for you. I'm a servant of all great men and women. Of course, I'm a servant of failures as well. I've made the great individuals who have ever lived to become great. I've also made them failures as well. But I work with the precision of a marvelous computer and the intelligence of a human individual. You may run me for profit or you may run me to ruin. It makes no difference to me. Take me, be easy with me, and I will destroy you. Be firm with me and I'll put the world at your feet. You may ask, who am I? I am habit. A little fox called habit. Little habits that eat away character. Eat away our marriage. Eat away. It's just so small. We now in New Francisco, we see Sister Jones and Brother Tim and so and so. They have them. And uh, we kind of make a cross comparison instead of sometimes listening to what the Holy Spirit is trying to build in our lives. We all have good habits. And we all probably could recognize some bad habits. But good habits are so powerful. They may seem small. They bring such a big difference in your life. A good habit will shape your future, strengthen your life, and make you a healthier person, spirit, soul, and body. A good habit will help you develop the quality of life that Jesus wants you to have. Now a bad habit in your life are like enemies 
because they'll hinder us from being the person we really want to be. They'll steal the destiny that God has preordained for us to have. They can, we can read scripturally and biblically. God, we're so frustrated at times, aren't we? I know I've been there. And I know some people sometimes think, especially in Hawaii, come on, Pastor Art, everybody has a bad habit. Come on, Pastor Art, nobody's perfect. Is that going to be your reasoning, your logic? For keeping a little fox that's eating your vine? Bad habits are your subtle enemies. Stealing the quality of life that Jesus paid a price for you to have. Through his blood, through the cross. Empowered you to live by faith. Don't permit a bad habit to live. When the enemy is trying to destroy you, even though he looks like a little fox with a bad habit, you can't show that enemy or that habit any mercy. Deal with that bad habit relentlessly and without mercy. Ask God to show you by the Holy Spirit how you can conquer it, but you can't conquer it. Because God doesn't want these little foxes to eat away at the things he's put into your life. A beautiful family, beautiful vision, health, and the list goes on. And so many times, for the simplest of reasons, we get entrapped in these little elusive foxes. Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, let's see if it goes up, it says something, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power or and my version says, are mastered by anything. You know, to be mastered means to be held under the authority of someone or something. Imagine you being as talented and gifted as you are. To be held captive by a little fox. Little fox of character. Whatever business. Just a little bit of cheating. Back when I don't call it dark cheating. Just, we're just going to call it a little white cheating. I grew up with white sins, brown sins, polka dot sins, kind of give them different levels. Oh. <laughs> Maybe a different neighborhood. Okay, okay, I'm sorry, I apologize. But the interesting thing is, notice what it says. It says, all things are lawful, but not all things are, are profitable, in my version. Notice he's not talking about things that are lawless, wicked, sinful, evil. No, permissible. Permissible things. Permissible things. You can't categorize it in a category in the Bible. A sin, wicked, evil, wicked. So it's permissible. But it's not profitable. How do I know those things? The voice of the Holy Spirit. God's living word and the Holy Spirit. You can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Yes, you can. If you're born again, whoo! You can hear the voice of the Holy Ghost. Absolutely. You are the temple of the living God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you. Man, I'm more excited about you than you are about you. <laughs> oh, no, I'm just kidding. But, I, but what are these little foxes, you know? 
I could probably name a few obvious ones that are eating away at our life. You know, for example, we can talk about an overdependence on alcohol consumption that's eating away at a person's organ system, or maybe addiction to drugs or craving to certain levels of nicotine and other herbs. And, uh, <laughs> wow, you cut them quick. <laughs> I was just in America. Anyways, uh, or maybe, uh, you know, levels, well, immorality, the list goes on. But when it comes to little foxes, of course, that eat away the fruit of your vine, it never would be something like overeating. Ah, you have lost your smile. You had it just a moment ago. You know, or things like exaggerating. Certainly not procrastinating. Ah, everybody does that. Why? That's what the one you want to keep around, running wild. It's okay. What about other little habits? Like little foxes, like being negative, being cynical, being suspicious, you know, being closed-minded. Those are habits. Yeah, everybody knows about it but you. And um, what about things like being ungrateful, demanding all the time, you know, rude and harsh with people like your own family? Or people that we say we love. What about habits like, of course, gossip? Come on. We've got to roast the pastor at some time. No, sorry. Um, <laughs> gossip. What about worry? You think it's a God-given gift? No, some of you have that gift, but it's not God-given. I know. I came from a champion household of worries. We had trophies on the walls. Anyways, irritability. The list goes on, and we don't want to overfocus on that. But you know, probably your greatest competitor is not too far away from you. You know, a reporter once asked D.L. Moody which people gave him the hardest time and most trouble. And he answered immediately. He says, I've had more trouble with D.L. Moody than any other person alive. <laughs> I once read this poem. It's called Your Competitor. It reads like this. An enemy I had whose face I stoutly strove to know. For hard he dogged my steps unseen wherever I did go. My plans he balked, my aims he foiled. He blocked my onward way. When for some lofty goal I toiled, he grimly said to me, nay. One night I seized him and held him fast. From him the veil I did draw. I looked upon his face at last, and lo, myself, I saw. It's interesting. The little fox is not the little fox of your spouse or your neighbor or your good friends. We're so good. Well, maybe I'm referring more to myself because you're all, you've all arrived. But I'm talking about... I've got the little season where you always think that your life would be better if everybody would just be adjusted. <laughs> right? If they'd be nicer, I'd be better. If they'd smile, I'd be happier. Yeah, okay. Nobody here. Anyways, <laughs> we all have good habits. We all have bad ones. But I want to focus on probably one of the most important habits I think you could develop. 
It'd be so helpful for all of us. Forgive me, I'm going through this fairly quickly. I'm just giving you an overview. May I mention this to you? I once read from E.M. Gray where he said, the successful person has a habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. The successful person doesn't like doing them either. But his dislikes are subordinated to his strength of purpose. When you know where you're going and what you're all about, it makes it easier to conquer those little habits. The habit I want you to focus on that's really a game changer for any person's life is what I call, simply put, the God habit. Let me say the God habit. I know, it's all that deep, right? Came all the way from Hawaii to tell you about the God habit. But it is one of the most important habits that you'll ever develop. It's the habit of spending time with God. Your reading time, your devotional time, your worship time. You know that worship time where you know, that, but you think you do, but you, you know you don't, but you think you do, sound like Fritz, but you know you don't. It's that time. You're in that category of joyful noise. You know, and, but without this habit of spending time with God in his word and prayer, without him being your focus, no matter what other habit you'll tend to develop, build, by willpower and by other forms of discipline, it will just never be the difference maker that you're really looking for in your Christian walk. God asks us to develop the God habit. In Psalms 27 verse 8 in the Amplified Classic Version, David says these words. He said, speaking to the Lord, he says, you have said, seek my face Inquire for and require my presence as your vital need. My heart says to you, your face, your presence, Lord, I will seek. Inquire for and require of necessity and on the authority of your word. Not on the basis of my circumstances, on the basis of my feelings. But if that's what you ask me to do, Lord, then that I will. He asked David. David had to make a choice of life. You develop this God habit. I mean, I'm not talking about something that you're clocking in and clocking in. I mean, we're talking about spending some time. I'm not giving you hours. I'm not giving you routines. I'm not giving you, you know, the secret formula. There is no secret formula except the Holy Spirit. I believe it's Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. It will not go up in the Amplified Classic. It talks about, it says how we ought to learn to live and walk habitually in the Holy Spirit. Following his promptings. You really need to understand how important it is to be in his presence. Not just as another thing for you and I to do before we go and do the very many and important things we have because if it's not your vital need then there's something that you need to understand how vital his presence is before you make the next decision of your life the word vital is a simple word it means the utmost 
importance for that, which makes a difference in life. In my living. Hey, have you ever seen, and I pointed this out, emergency rooms, maybe you've seen it on a, a show of some sort where they go into a hospital room and somebody is rushed into the hospital. Did you notice that they never ask what their title is? They never ask how much money he's made? What kind of house he lives in? What neighborhood does he come from? What gifting does he have? First thing, to make sure that he's even alive on the planet Earth, what are the vital signs? Too many Christians spend time because they have to, not because they want to. Been there, done that, bought a t-shirt, resold it though. <laughs> My vital need. You're excited about life, you're excited about the dream, you're excited about the plan. Have you gone to him about it? No, I got this. I got this. Haven't we all been there where we had it? It was supposed to work out. Where were you, God? This marriage, or this, whatever, I apologize. This situation was supposed to work out. What happened, Lord? How this was from you, Lord? He says, well, you never asked. No, God does not want your failure. God does not want your hurt. He's a restorer. He's the redeemer. We don't want to hear what he has to say. Because what you begin to find out in my closing moments is that when he becomes your vital need and your necessity, because life doesn't always feel good, brother and sister. Whether it be politically, be it financially, be it in family, life doesn't always feel good. And you will have those moments where you feel like, ah, what's, Lord, what is going on? Not too long ago, it was a couple years ago, I shared this thought. I just want to reshare it with you. Same person, David. And David was fighting the enemies in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And he was out doing the Lord's work. And he goes out. And then he says, he's coming back to a place called Ziklag. Remember that? He comes to a place called Ziklag. And he sees that Ziklag is burned to the ground. Get this now. And he's, everything's burned to the ground. He goes there and he maybe falls on his knees into a place maybe where his, his um, tent used to be. But the men around him, as you know the story, were complaining and were blaming and wanted to kill him. And they wanted to, you know, they were crying. Their families were gone. Their possessions were burned to the ground or at least they were missing. And everything was gone. And they were saying, it's you, David. It's you. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your God. It's what you this and the other. And what did David do? What did he do? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Preacher, I prophesied in the name of Jesus, son. You're going to rise up and change the nation. Ah, ah, yeah, come on. Son. Sorry. Had a moment there. I had a Pastor John moment there. Anyways, uh, just <laughs> don't make noise. I do react. I apologize. But, uh, but what did... <laughs> that voice is going to stay with me for the rest of the day. <laughs> I'll even take it back to why bless you, child. Anyways... Uh, but you know what happened? At the worst time, with all the noise and the threats, 
You're going down, David. You're going down. We're going to kill you. You taught us strength. You taught us in the cave of Abdullam. You showed us. We became your mighty men. And now everything's turned on us. And it's your fault, David. It is your fault, David. You're going to go down. And sometimes people will threaten you, business owners. Will threaten you. Noise, 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 noise. And it can distract you. It can dilute you. What did David do? He asked for the ephod. Abimelech, bring the ephod. I mean, we're basically talking about a bed sheet with some artistry on it. Put it over his head. He was sitting there, and that was his, that was his seeking the Lord place. That was his secret place. In the midst of the noise. In the midst of the threats. What was his vital need? Standing up to his men and saying, how dare you? Don't you know who I am? Pushing out his title. Do you know how much money I've made you? Do you know what I've done for you? Picked you up when you were nobody. No, he didn't contest flesh with flesh. He went to his final need. He inquired. It was easy. No. He could hear everything. He knew what was on the other side of that little thin ephod. Any spear could have penetrated that many times over. The stone thrower union right outside, ready to conk him on the head. The Bible says that David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Where will you find your strength, young, young lady? But will you find your strength when you feel rejected, taunted, played, misused and abused, turned against? Do you feel like you have just holes going through your chest? You barely even feel any life at all. Do you run to that person? Do you run to this person? Or do you go to your vital? I thought myself, gosh, what I would have done. I don't even want to think about what I would have done. Some of us just run. I mean, we're just like, we're called runners. What? Where'd he go? I don't know, they were just here. You know, some of us complain. Some of us fight back. Woo! Pull out your ninja moves. Never works, does it? Yeah. We get mad, we get defensive, we get offended, and we fight back. Never works, does it? So professional I have been as a Christian until I learn who really is my vital need. It's in that place, my friends. You find how they're broken. You find how to rise from the ashes of despair. You'll find it nowhere else. There's no biography. 
There's no well-articulated, you know, set of rules. No master education systems that will ever teach you what you can only learn in the secret place. Nothing. Oh, you'll try, because you think there is. I did. Forgive me for implying that upon your life. That's our humanity. God doesn't blame us for it. He just tries to bring us back to what is of necessity. Before you make a decision on that relationship, inquire. Before you make a decision on your business, smart as you are, as much money as you've already made, ask him. Before you leave that family, ask him. Before you break that covenant, ask him. Before you unleash harshest words that have broken so many hearts. Ask them. When your emotions are almost out of control and out of rage, tears streaming down your, your face, ask them anyway. David did. David wasn't perfect. Lord, When my head doesn't make sense and life is falling apart, I come to you anyway, Lord. I don't even know if I can hear you, all this noise. But you said, here, seek my face. Inquire and require of me. That's your vital need. I don't promise you, but he'll promise you. 